Good morning, everyone. So some of you know me and some of you don't. Um, For those of you that don't know me, I am Marcy Cramsey. I am the children's minister here and I take care of all the kiddos on Sunday morning. So which is an absolute joy. So thank you so much for bringing your kids week after week. We really enjoyed taking care of them and getting to know them. Well, Pastor Zach asked me last month if I would give the message today. So I feel very honored and excited to bring a message to you out of our series on joy, choosing joy. So we're going to talk a little bit about choosing joy in our difficulties. Over a year ago, our oldest son, Matthew, came to us saying he felt called to partner with a mission organization called Youth with a Mission. Another name for it is YWAM. The plan was that he would go and train at a YWAM base somewhere within the States. And then he would travel for three months in an Asian country where he and a team would share the gospel of Jesus with an unreached people and also support the Christians living there. Now, I have to admit, when he first brought this to my attention, that he wanted to do this, I was a little nervous. With all the unrest in our world and with ISIS threats and those kinds of things, I was kind of, I was terrified, actually, at the thought of him going on outreach in somewhere in Asia. <clears throat> I was fretting, as a mother probably normally does, and I was afraid, and, um, but I also prayed, and I sought scripture, and I was really praying about what God's plan was for his life. Um, at the same time, my, my son, Matt, was actually praying too. And he finally came to me and he says, Mom, I need to go. Whether you approve or not, I need to go. He said it graciously and lovingly, but ne- nevertheless, he knew that he was called to do this, that God wanted to work through him. And then after that, I kind of thought, you know, who am I to question what God is doing in his life? After all, Dan and I raised him to be a light for Jesus in this world. So Matt raised his money and he went. He was gone for six months, three months in Maui where he trained and then three months on outreach in the country of Bangladesh. At the time there was a travel advisory for any foreigners that were going to this country. Um, There had even been a couple of murders just before he went. So naturally I was still very afraid for him. And I really needed to overcome my fear. I needed to get to the bottom of this. So I decided to read a book to encourage me. So I picked up the book, The Fox's Book of Martyrs, which doesn't sound like a book that would encourage you. (laughs) Um, I have a strange way of encouraging myself. But anyway, actually, the book was really, really good for me. You see, I I wanted to be a support to my son. But I also wanted to have some answers to some questions. I wanted to know how do people face grave and difficult circumstances and still stand firm in their faith? I wanted to know how they can have joy in the Lord when they're in pain. I wanted to know what was on these people's minds when they were facing their tormentors. I wanted to know, of course, how to support my son, but I also wanted to know for myself, how could I be a person who could have joy even though I'm in pain? So as I read this book, I came across a short but powerful story that I want to read to you. It's about a mom and her young son. A young child of seven was called out of the multitude and asked this question. Tell me, do you think we should worship one Christ or should we worship many gods? 
The boy replied, We affirm that God is one and Christ is unique. He is the one true God. We children do not believe there are many gods. My mother taught this lesson. I believe in Christ. From this confession, the child was treated as a young villain and traitor and was sentenced to suffer for his death, for his faith. Now, most moms fearing for her son, fearing he would suffer horribly, might be tempted to deny Christ and teach her son to do the same. But not this boy's mother. She did not give in to this temptation. Instead, she did the most courageous thing. She encouraged her child to stay the course. Her son was hoisted up and scourged. Yet the mother said to her sweet son, do not crave cold water. Instead, thirst after the cup that the infants of Bethlehem once drank of, forgetting their mother's milk. She willed her son to remember little Isaac, who willingly would be sacrificed. She gave this counsel as the tormentor harmed her son. The mother cried to her child, suffer, my child, and soon you will pass to Jesus. Your naked head now will be crowned in eternal glory. This mother denied her own pain. She chose to encourage her son with a smiling countenance, a face of complete joy. Her face of joy was probably the last thing her son saw. And finally, as her child was beheaded, the mother sang this song to her son, ushering him into the glory of heaven. All laud and praise with heart and voice. O Lord, we yield to thee, to whom the death of this thy saint we know most dear to be. This mother knew that to hold her child here on earth in denial of Jesus was to give him the most evil gift of all. For she knew that it is better to reign in glory forever and ever with the Lord than to reign a few short years with the most evil of people on earth. She gave her son the gift of encouragement to press on and pass through. After reading that story, I knew at that moment I wanted to be that kind of mom to my son. No matter what he faced, I resolutely planned to encourage him to press on and to press through. But I still couldn't help but ask the question, what was this mother's secret? How could she encourage her child with a face of joy, no less? It seems pretty impossible, doesn't it? <clears throat> well, in many ways, it is impossible. That kind of joy is not humanly possible. It's not natural. But then we don't serve a natural God. We serve a supernatural God who can do the impossible in and through us. Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not a fruit of the human spirit. It's a fruit of God's spirit. Human happiness has its limits. Human happiness is very dependent on our circumstances. So you're probably asking the question, so how can I tap into that joy of the Holy Spirit as I face my difficulties? Well, I'm glad that you asked because I'm going to answer the question. We're going to find out the answer as we look at Paul's life and what he wrote to the Philippian church. Paul was no stranger to suffering and difficulty. By the time he had written this letter to the Philippians, he had suffered imprisonment, Beatings, shipwrecks, rejection, fear of death, anxiety, and even depression. Paul also knew what it was like to be under great pressure. He faced dangers from robbers, from his own people, the Gentiles, 
He faced dangers in the city and the open country, on the sea. He faced dangers from false brothers. Paul worked hard. He experienced hardship, sleepless nights. He knew hunger and thirst. He was cold and often didn't have the proper clothing that he needed. This was a lot to be under pressure over. But there was one thing that he was even more pressured by. And he writes in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight what that is. Besides all the other things I could mention, there's my daily stress because I'm concerned about all the churches. He was concerned about the church's growth. He was concerned about each person becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus. He was concerned about hypocrisy and false prophets. With all of this, it's hard to imagine how Paul could still write about choosing joy, but he did. Like the mom I mentioned earlier, what was Paul's secret? What was the mom's secret? Let's look at Philippians 1, 12 through 26. You can follow along on the screen or you can follow in your Bible or on your phone as I read. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that the things that have happened to me have actually advanced the gospel. The whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else knows that I'm in prison for Christ. Most of the brothers and sisters have had more confidence through the Lord to speak the word boldly and bravely because of my jail time. Some certainly preach Christ with jealous and competitive motives, but others preach with good motives. They are motivated by love because they know that I'm put here to give a defense of the gospel. The others preach Christ because of their selfish ambition. They are insincere, hoping to cause me more pain while I'm in prison. What do do I think about this? Just this, since Christ is proclaimed in every possible way, whether from dishonest or true motives, I'm glad and I'll continue to be glad. I'm glad because I know that this will result in my release through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ. It is my expectation and hope that I won't be put to shame in anything. Rather, I hope with daring courage that Christ's greatness will be seen in my body now as always, whether I live or die. Because for me, living serves Christ and dying is even better. If I continue to live in this world, I get results from my work. But I don't know what I prefer. I'm torn between the two because I want to leave this life and be with Christ, which is far better. However, it's more important for me to stay in this world for your sake. I'm sure of this. I will stay alive and remain with all of you to help your progress and the joy of your faith. And to increase your pride in Christ Jesus through my presence when I visit you again. As I mentioned earlier, Paul was under a great deal of pressure when it came to the churches. But he also had a great concern for reaching all of Rome. Rome was a key city of that day. Paul figured if he could conquer Rome for Christ, it would mean he would reach millions of people with a message of salvation in Jesus. Paul desperately wanted to go to Rome and preach the good news about Jesus. But instead of going as a preacher, he went as a prisoner. About a year ago or so, our small group actually studied the book of Philippians. And um, I'm actually preaching on the passage that was my favorite out of that study. And um, so the study was called Be Joyful, and it was written by Warren Wearsby. So you're going to hear a few quotes about what he taught us as well as what God's been teaching me. Warren Wearsby points out that 
Paul faces three types of difficulties while in Rome. And I want to talk to you about all three of them because I think that we can relate to each one. The first difficulty that Paul faced were chains. Paul could have spent time in his letter writing about all the difficulties that he had while being a prisoner in Rome. But that's not where his mind was. Instead, he said in verse 12, I want you to know that the things that have happened to me have actually advanced the gospel. No matter the challenge, Paul had one focus. He had a single mind, the advancement of the gospel. He had one goal, to teach the true way to salvation through Jesus Christ. And if it was in prison that would get the job done, so be it, was Paul's thinking. Just as Moses' rod and David's sling served as tools for God's power to be revealed, Paul's chains would do the same. Paul was chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. Each soldier had to take six-hour shifts to be with him. And Paul took advantage of that opportunity. He witnessed to four soldiers a day, and he was not quiet. I'm sure the soldiers weren't too happy about that. But nonetheless, it was their job. They had to stay there with Paul and listen to him preach. Now, this situation just... I couldn't help but remember um, my husband, Dan. Um, When Dan is really excited, he talks, and he talks, and he talks, and he talks. And when I was giving birth to our first son, he was excited. And he talked, and he talked constantly. He talked about the weather. He talked about his childhood. He talked about the baby. He talked about everything he could possibly talk about. Now, I want you to picture this. I'm in the hospital bed right here. And here's my husband, and he's talking and talking and talking. Now, on this side is the nurse, and the nurse is doing her nurse thing. She's getting me ready to have this baby. She's focused. But I also know that she's just a little agitated. And then all of a sudden, the nurse snaps, and she looks at my husband, and she says, if you don't shut up, I'm going to kick you out. So Dan and I look at each other, we're like, okay, what's up with the nurse? And I'm also kind of thinking, um, no, he can't really leave because I kind of need him to get through this. Actually, all his talking was a bit of a distraction for me. It was actually helping me. Um, but, you know, most, probably most husbands would have just been quiet, at least while the nurse was in the room. But not my husband. He wasn't quiet. He chose to talk softly. And he talked through the entire delivery because he had one goal. He was going to get his wife through this delivery. I wonder, I wonder if the soldiers felt like that nurse. I wonder if they wanted to tell Paul to shut up. You know Paul didn't stop talking about Jesus. Can you imagine being a Roman soldier locked up with Paul? To a man who prayed without ceasing, constantly interviewing people about their spiritual condition, and writing letters to Christians and churches? The reality is this, many of those soldiers came to faith in Jesus. Paul was impacting the city of Rome through his imprisonment, the very thing he wanted to do. He says so in verse 13, the whole praetorian guard and everyone else knows that I'm in prison for Christ. You see, Paul used his chains to free the lost from their chains of sin. Maybe you feel chained right now in your life. A better word might be trapped. Maybe you feel trapped in your job. Maybe you feel trapped in your financial situation or your marriage. 
an illness. Or maybe you can fill in the blank with something else. I had a good friend who was a mother to six children. One day, very frustrated and depleted of all energy, she started to share with me her struggles. She said to me, Marcy, I feel like I'm in prison being with my kids day in and day out. Now, this was a good mom. She loved her kids. She spent a lot of time with them. She encouraged them. She taught them. But there were those days when she just felt like she was imprisoned to motherhood. Maybe you feel that way. Susanna Wesley, one of my favorite moms of long ago, had to feel chained to motherhood, just like my friend. She gave birth to 19 children, of which nine died when they were infants. She knew suffering and she knew hardship. Her husband rarely took the role of spiritual leader in their home. He was just simply not home to do so. But Susanna didn't let his absence or even her momentarily chained feelings to motherhood hold her back from raising kids to love God. I like what she said concerning her husband who was never home to lead the family spiritually. The responsibility for the children's spiritual instruction was Sam's. But since he was not home, she must be the one to discharge it. Like Paul, she had one focus to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ and her kids. And because she used her time as a mom for God, out of her family came John and Charles Wesley, whose ministry shook the British Isles for Jesus. Are you feeling chained right now in this season of your life? It's okay to feel that way. It's just not okay to let it overtake you. You see, the Lord's chains are tools They help us do God's will in our life. I like what Warren Mearsby says. He says, when you have the single mind, you look on your circumstances as God-given opportunities for the furtherance of the gospel, and you rejoice at what God is going to do instead of complaining about what God did not do. Being focused on the gospel helps us do great things through our chains. The second difficulty that Paul faced were critics. We all know what a critic is. You know that person who can't say anything good about what you do. They're always finding something wrong. They become your rival instead of your partner. Everyone knows a person like that in their life at some point in time. They're kind of like this thorn in your side. But there's a difference between a critic and one who critiques. One who critiques is one who has your best interest at hand. They want to see you succeed. They evaluate what you're doing on the basis of helping you be better. But a critic only wants to complain and criticize you and what you're doing. Critics disapprove of people based on perceived faults and mistakes. They want you to fail. They are masters at division and strife. But those who critique, they master in unity and love. They are partners. They may challenge us, but only so they can support us. They want to join us and help us. They ultimately care about the mission at hand. Paul experienced both types of people in this passage. On one hand, Paul's imprisonment served to bring confidence to those who preached from a goodwill and who spoke with boldness. They were true partners in the defense of the gospel. On the other hand, his imprisonment seemed to arouse critics to be even more critical 
And they tried to cause Paul a great deal of anxiety. But I love how Paul responds. It's like, whatever. As long as Jesus is preached, I can have joy. And the reason that Paul could confidently say this is because he wasn't shaken by their criticism. He found his identity in Jesus, not in the opinions of man. Paul believed what he wrote in 1 Thessalonians 2.4. We have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. So we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Paul also knew that the fear of man laid a snare for him, but trusting in God was a safe place. Criticism is hard to take, and if you're a people pleaser, it's most difficult. People pleasers rely way too much on the unstable opinions of man instead of the unchanging God. Looking for man's approval is shaky ground. When we value man's thoughts way too much, it gets in the way of God's thoughts for us. Now, I have often struggled with worrying about what people think and pleasing people in my life. I have to still battle this if I'm real today. But I always have to come back to this truth that I am here to please God, not man. Yes, I'm here to love people. I'm here to serve people. But ultimately, my life is here. I'm here to please God and bring him glory. We must find our joy in what God thinks of us. The opinions of people do not define us. God defines us. Jesus gives us worth. He died for our sins. He gives us new life. He is the one who's worthy. Allowing critics to cause us anxiety is literally a yoke of slavery. The truth is most critics are having their own identity crisis. That's why they're so critical. Unhappy and unfulfilled people often want to make other people unhappy and unfulfilled. Keeping this in mind helps us kind of know where the critics are coming from and gives us an opportunity to pray for them because what a critic desperately needs to understand and embrace is God's love and his grace. Now, I must point out one thing concerning this one difficulty. It's more of a question that occurred to me while I was preparing for this sermon. Am I the critic? Am I, or am I a person that wants to be a partner? Jesus gave us a mandate. He gave us a calling, gave us a very clear purpose for our church to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to observe all that he commanded. That's our mission as a church. That's our mission. It's easy to fall in the trap of criticizing and complaining about our church or any other church and what it offers and what it doesn't offer. The bad thing about being a critic is it distracts us from the mission. You see, we don't, for example, we don't give money to the church to keep the lights on. We give money to the church to make disciples. The lights are simply tools. We don't serve on a ministry team to make the work lighter for the pastors and leaders and ministers of the church. We serve to make disciples. It's true that many hands make light work. But more importantly, many hands make a bigger impact 
on the lives of the people that we're reaching. We give and serve so we can be partners in the defense of the gospel and help people experience life in Jesus. So the question is, are you a critic or are you one who critiques? Are you a partner? Something to think about. The third difficulty that Paul faced was crisis. Warren Wearsby sums up Paul's three difficulties, but I especially like what he says about this one, about crisis. He says, because of Paul's chains, Christ was known. And because of Paul's critics, Christ was preached. But because of Paul's crisis, Christ was magnified. Paul says in Philippians 1.20, it is my expectation and hope that I would, wouldn't, I won't be put to shame in anything. Rather, I hope with daring courage that Christ's greatness will be seen in my body, now always, whether I live or die. Whether Paul lived or died, he served the Lord. His single-focused mind was only on Jesus and fulfilling his command to go and make disciples. This, this was his secret. This was the secret of the mom that I shared with you earlier too. Neither the mom nor Paul allowed their difficulties to crush them. While they were real and they were significantly hard, their mind was set on what was above, not on what was on earth. And because of this, they both were able to choose joy. Paul did not find his joy in his circumstances. He found it in helping many people find salvation in Jesus. He found out that his circumstances could serve the purpose of opening up opportunities for ministry. I don't really know where you are. I don't know what you're facing. But I do know this, that your tragedy today is tomorrow's testimony. It is going to serve a purpose to help somebody else for sure. I've counseled countless many people over the time that I have um, been in ministry. I've heard stories of extreme suffering, depression, financial crisis, illness, death of a loved one, and many other things. The thing is, is crisis is a real deal in our life. Have you noticed that crisis never takes a nap? It doesn't go away. As soon as you get through one crisis, it seems like there's another one just around the bend. But the good news is this. Jesus doesn't take a nap either. And your crisis is no match for his power. He is always working. He is never asleep. He never slumbers. And he cares for each one of us. In 2013, I published a book on parenting. Its titles Deep and Wide, Raising Children Deep in Jesus, and Wide in Influence. In this book, I describe the many different roles that parents fill while parenting their children. And one chapter talks about the suffering parent. In this chapter, I talk about our daughter. Ashley was between the ages of 12 and 16. As a child, Ashley was very talkative. She was happy, sensitive, bright. She loved art, dancing, and reading. She loved to have friends over. She loved to play with her brothers. As children grew, she didn't always know how to handle change in her life. Nor did she know how to handle the deep sensitivity she seemed to have for people who were hurting. 
She felt for people who hurt but didn't know how to process it within herself. When she was 12 years old, we noticed that Ashley's demeanor changed. She became very quiet. She became reclusive. She often would segregate herself away from the family. I'd ask her if she was okay, and she would say, I'm fine, but then she would head off to her room to be alone. I had this gnawing feeling that things were not fine. And sure enough, I was right. One day, I get a call from a mom of Ashley's friend sharing with me an email that Ashley sent to her friend, her daughter. The email indicated that Ashley was very depressed and possibly suicidal. My heart literally dropped into my stomach. I was afraid. I didn't know what to do with this information. I had all sorts of feelings, but one of them was guilt. I couldn't help but ask myself, what did I do wrong? And then I started praying and asking God, show me what I did wrong, because I need to fix this, and I need to fix this today, now. But I learned that you don't fix depression like that. It takes time. So we began an intentional approach to Ashley's healing. We sought counseling. We went through many counselors. Ashley didn't like any of them. So I finally settled on one that I liked, one that could teach me how to counsel our daughter. Initially, Ashley would not talk to me or anyone. It took her a while to open up. In the meantime, I needed to know what was going on in her mind, in her heart. I needed to know what she was going through. And I'm kind of like that mom that never gives up. I'm kind of irritating that way. Um, I just kept pressed, pressing and, and praying. And then one night, while we were all asleep, I really felt like the Holy Spirit just woke me up. And he brought to my mind, he reminded me that Ashley likes to write. And so with an inaudible voice, it was like he said, go get her journals. And sure enough, I went in her room while she was asleep, and I got a whole stack of journals like this. And normally I would not have invaded her privacy. But the counselor did say to us that if a person is in harm's way, it was okay to invade that privacy so that you can do something to help them, help them heal. So I sat down in a chair in my room with my light on, and I read every single page. It took me over four hours. But two amazing things happened while I was reading them. The first is that her journals were filled with scripture, scriptures that we had taught her, scriptures she had learned at church. They were also filled with prayers. She was crying out to God, sharing with him all the different things that she questioned him. She was questioning life and faith. She was questioning all the changes that were happening in her life. Um, and actually, at that time, there were a lot of changes going on in our family's life. She shared her confusion. So I got to finally understand what was happening inside her. But the second thing that happened was that God answered that question that I was asking. What have I done wrong? What have I done? Show me. And I share in my book the answer that I felt like God had given me. It was as if God said aloud to me, 
This difficulty is not because of something you have done or not done. Just like I have loved you enough to walk you through the valleys of life to teach you to rely on me, I also love Ashley the same. And I'm walking her through her own wilderness so she will know me deeply. This depression is for Ashley, not against her. This experience really humbled me as a parent. No longer did I believe the lie that parenting was consecutive. I used to think that if you as a parent did A, then your child would reach B and so forth and so on. But I learned that that's not always how God works. Proverbs 16.9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. Sometimes God leads us into the wilderness, just like he did his son. And it's in the wilderness that God meets us and makes us new. He refines us, he removes the dross from our life, and creates a new heart with a new focus, one that is totally set on him. While this was our family's difficulty, it was our daughter's wilderness. And God was showing up, though, through it all, with amazing joy that I had no idea was coming. By the time Ashley was almost 16 years old, she had made some huge strides in healing, but she was not quite there yet. And she felt called to also go to YWAM, that same place that our son went last year. Her training base was in Montana, and then her outreach was in Germany. This base specialized in dance and music. And she was a dancer, and she really wanted to know how to dance for the Lord and share the gospel with people using her gift. It was really, really hard for me to let her go. So hard that I flew with her to Montana to take her because I couldn't put her on the plane by herself. I'm a bit of a control freak mom. I've learned, I've had to learn not to be that way too. I stayed that first night with her. We had fun spending time together and just praying together, reading the Bible and just laughing and then doing lots of crying because I was going to miss her, miss her really horribly. Because through all of that experience, we became so much more than mother and daughter. We became sisters in Christ. So it was a really cool thing. The next morning I got up early because I needed to fly back home. It was the hardest thing for me to do and I cried most of the way. She was gone for two months, but I am so glad that she went. While Ashley was on the road to healing, it was really here at YWAM that Ashley experienced a complete healing of her depression. I was at a youth camp while she was gone for one week as a youth leader. And while I was there, a friend of mine came over and says, have you read Ashley's recent blog post about her experience in YWAM? I had not read it. And so he gave me his phone, and I read it. And it was truly amazing, and I'm going to read it. It's in my book. The title of her blog post is On the Road to Freedom. She says, the theme of my summer so far has been freedom. When I left home, everything I read in the Bible or anything I read or heard was about being bound and free. I thought that God was just calling me to free the brokenhearted and captives. But he had even better plans. He wanted to free me. The details aren't really important, but what is important is that as I spent my time here in Montana with God, he revealed to me the many things that were holding me back from him. Sometimes God asks us to do hard things, and sometimes that hard thing is to let go of the things that you think you can't live without. 
God is amazing when you let him dig out the pain in your heart and soul and make you let go of it so that you can experience peace and freedom. I wasn't going to share this, but I feel compelled. I love how free YWAM is in their worship and pretty much everything. These people live by the Holy Spirit, and it's truly amazing. They've shown me how much of a real person God is. Anyway, during one worship time, there were people standing, singing, not singing, raising their hands or not, sitting, lying face down, kneeling, crying, smiling, and dancing. They just responded to how God moved. And this one time, he moved me out of my comfort zone. He wanted me to dance. Although I've always loved the song, I Won't Relent, I finally got what it meant. Out of nowhere, I saw how God had always pursued me throughout my whole testimony. God was there, and he pulled me through. It was God who wanted me here in this place to experience all of this and all of his love. Before I could let myself deny him, I kneeled down and took off my shoes. Then I started to dance, and the Holy Spirit moved through me, and I wasn't even in control of how I moved anymore. God was dancing with and through me. It was similar to adrenaline, but a little different. I never got tired. All the faults that I have when I dance in class were perfected. And even though I danced with my eyes closed, I never once ran into a wall or a person. Letting God move you is true freedom. When I was done dancing, all I could do was weep. Because in that moment, I knew the three things that I had been asking God. I knew that he was really there. I knew how much he loved me, and I knew that I was free. My daughter was healed. She was made whole in Jesus. What Ashley tasted was the joy of the Lord. You see, true Christian joy can be found and or can be defined as freedom. Freedom from guilt, freedom of sin, freedom from shame, and in her case, freedom from depression. Literally, freedom from anything that ails our soul. And it's found in Jesus. Whatever ha- what happened to our daughter resulted in the furthering of the gospel in her heart. And it also happened in many others that she has touched since with her testimony. Do you know what our daughter is doing today? She's a professional counselor that helps troubled teens. She and her husband are very mission-minded. This past summer, they spent over two months in Cambodia, where they shared the gospel with university students. They taught English using the Bible. These students that they taught are the children and grandchildren of those who experience the killing fields of 1975. Ashley learned how to put Psalm 84, 5 through 6 into practice. It says, What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessings. Ashley has been able to use her depression to become a refreshing spring to those who are in need. And I, as a mom, can choose joy, knowing that what happened to her 
has magnified Jesus in her life and in the lives of the many people she's touched along the way. Which brings me to our bottom line. Our difficulties serve a gospel purpose. They don't just serve a good purpose. They serve a gospel purpose. We often spend too much energy trying to figure out how to get out of our difficulties instead of asking ourselves how our difficulties can magnify Jesus. Earlier I asked a question, how can we tap into the joy of the Holy Spirit as we face our difficulties? First, it's important to know that we need to be a follower of Jesus. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? If not, that is your next step to choosing joy in the face of your difficulties. When you become a follower of Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit who can give you Christian joy. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you believe this? Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, how can you practice choosing joy in the face of your difficulties? You do realize it's a choice. While we have the Holy Spirit, we can often ignore him. One of the ways that I have seen people ignore the Holy Spirit is they don't read their Bible. During our Daring Faith campaign this past fall, God gave me a phrase to focus on. And that phrase is do a new thing. In other words, do things differently. Not too long ago, I was quite discouraged over a few things in my life. And I was feeling a bit low that evening and overwhelmed. It was 9.30 at night. Typically when I go to bed, I'll read a good book or I'll watch a TV show or something like that. Those things aren't bad. But oftentimes those types of things can serve as distractions from the pit we're in instead of serving as a ladder so that we can get out of the pit. So I remembered my phrase, let's do a new thing. So I decided to sit in my chair with my Bible and read the Psalms. First, I wrote in my journal all the things that were bothering me. I listed everything. It's almost like I threw up on Jesus. And then I started to read the Psalms. I read four of them. And as I read the Psalms, then I turned them into prayers. And I prayed specifically about the things I had just written out. And by 11.30 that evening, I was out of my pit. God had lifted me out. He had given me hope. He had encouraged me. He had given me my joy back. Now, my problems were not solved. No no miracles happened that night, except that maybe I slept well that night. You see, when we saturate ourselves with the word of God, which is the form of communication that God uses to speak to us and comfort us, we experience what the psalmist says in Psalm 1, 1 through 2. How happy is the man who does not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path of sinners or join a group of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. It's easy just to forget that the Bible is right there and we have such easy access to it. You can even read it on your phone. 
And it has the power to literally transform our emotions from sadness to joy, from frustration to excitement and confidence and hope. We need to use that. We need to be in the word of God. We need to be people of the word. And then we will be people of joy. You have a place on your message notes where you can write what your next step is. You've heard me talk about many things this morning. What has stood out to you? What is God speaking to you about? What is the new thing that he wants you to do so that you can choose joy in the face of your difficulties? So during our response time, I want you to fill that out. I want you to kind of ask God, what does he want you to do? And then I want you to do it. So before we actually do that, I'm going to pray for us. So let's pray. Dear God, you're just an amazing God. We love you. You're there for us. You are real, just as our daughter figured out. And Lord, you have so much joy to offer us. Lord, help everyone here as they discover what that next step is to write it down and then go do it. Lord, life can get in the way of us, of, of us doing what you want us to do. Help that to not happen. I pray that you would work a mighty work in each person's heart here. And we ask this in Jesus' name.